I'm mighty glad he didn't say I was a legend in my own mind, you know. Um, I do have to apologize, too, because uh, I don't see t- very many ties out here uh, in the congregation. I knew there wouldn't be many ties, uh, and I knew this was the Wild West, and uh, you're not supposed to really dress up too much, but I thought, I'll stand out, you know. They'll at least notice me, so uh, that's why I, no, I just, I don't know why I wear, I, I think it's because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I wear a tie. Um, well, I have to thank Greg and Christy for singing The Love of God. You have to understand they did that for me. Um, for 15 years, I taught a, a course called Living in Grace, and the center of that course was the idea that we are loved by God in ways that we can't even understand, way beyond anything we can even comprehend. And so I would teach that, but Christy would sing it uh, as a solo just before. Uh, and the best part was her singing, not my teaching. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that. Um, you also need to know that this is a special weekend. Uh, we call this a stewardship weekend. I'll be preaching on money. And uh, uh, this is something that Mission to the World puts on. Actually, we started it uh, about 36 years ago at Covenant Seminary. So we started at Covenant Seminary. Then when I moved to Mission World, we kept doing it. Uh, And it really is a gift to a congregation. Uh, I preach not on estate planning, but on stewardship itself. But tomorrow there will be two seminars, one at noon and one at 6.30 at the Marriott. You can sign up right after this service, and I hope that you will, because I believe this could be the last one we do here. Do you realize this is going to be the fourth one we've done at Village 7? Uh, Excuse me, it'll be the fifth one we've done at Village 7. We've done four already, and that's more than we've done any other place. Just that in itself ought to I think, let you know, there must be something good here, right? If they keep inviting us back. It's not a fundraiser for Mission of the World. It's not even a fundraiser for Village 7. It is an opportunity for you as the people of God to consider your stewardship before God in relationship to your estate planning. And everyone ought to do this. I've done it three times. I'm about to do it the fourth time. My wife has done it twice, and she's about to do it a third time. Some of you that might have done it the first time that we are here need to do it again because things change. It's absolutely free. Even the meal is free. They say there's no free lunch. Uh, There is a free lunch here. Uh, You don't have to pay for this. Nobody will ever ask you for a dime. This is just a way for you to to have what is probably the best... uh, seminar in the country uh, in relationship to estate and uh, design. I would go into detail of that. Uh, will you raise your hand? Bruce, this is Bruce. Bruce is going to stand. He's not going to just raise his hand. Uh, he's the one that puts it on uh, on uh, Monday at noon and at 6.30, and he's the best there is in the country. I really mean that, and if I had time, I think I could explain that to you so you would believe it. But now we come to the matter of stewardship itself. And uh, as I said, we're preaching on money. Maybe you've heard about the man 
uh, the two men, uh, they were shipwrecked and they, they, they um, washed up on a desert island. And one man be- looked around, he began to yell, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the other man said, calm down, calm down, everything is going to be all right. No, we're going to die. There are no trees here, there's no shelter, there's no food, there's no water. We're going to die. The other man said, please calm down. Everything is going to be fine. You see, I make $2 million a year, and I tithe. Our pastor will find us. This is the only sermon that I start with a joke. I'm not much of a comedian, actually. But the reason I start this particular sermon with a joke is because we don't know what to do with money in the church, really. There are many churches that don't even take an offering anymore, even in the Presbyterian Church in America. I just wrote a little booklet on giving is worship because I'm trying to encourage people to include the giving as a very important part of the worship service on Sunday, but a lot don't anymore. There are many ministers, even in our denomination, that won't preach on money. They're embarrassed about it. They, they, they feel like if they preach on money, uh, people are going to uh, not feel comfortable. Maybe they'll go to a different church or something like that. I don't know what the, the real problem is. Now, here's the thing. You heard the text read already this morning we kind of step back from this whole issue of money and what we do with our money and so on, but God doesn't. All through the Bible, God talks about our responsibility related to the physical and um, material things that God has given us. In fact, I think what God is trying to say to us is that I made this beautiful material world. Uh, My wife had never seen the Rocky Mountains until this morning. We got in here really late last night. It was pitch black. This morning, the sun came up. There was Pikes Peak right there, and she's a bit of a musician herself, and, and she gets kind of excited, and she's, wow, look at that. Look at that. And every once in a while, she was going over the window and just looking at that. That's God's world. That's God's creation. He made that. We're not just spiritual beings. We're also physical beings, And God wants us to be involved with him, worshiping him in relationship to the material blessings that God has given us. But here's what he tells us. I've made you a material being. You can pinch yourself, check to make sure you are. And then he says, and you uh, live in a material world that I've also made, and it's beautiful. But be careful. Don't become a materialist. You get it? You're a material being in a material world, but don't become a materialist. Why? Because you can't worship the things God made. You have to worship God. And that's one of the most important things about stewardship. That's really, in many ways, what stewardship is trying to teach us. When God talks all through the Bible, and there's many, many passages in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Of course, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are my favorite ones that we're looking at uh, this morning. But all through the Bible, God is saying, look, you can't keep part of what belongs to you to yourself. 
Because if you do, that becomes an idol. That becomes something over here that I don't have. God is saying, I'm going to have all of you. Because you belong to me. I bought you with a great price. Can you imagine getting married and you say, well, you say to this young lady that you're so excited about and you've just married her and so on and, and the service is just over and you're walking out and you lean over and you say, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you, I think, maybe Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm going to commit Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to you. Now, I've got other things to do and those days, uh, you know, you really won't be in the center of my life, but, but you got Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know what? <laughs> that lady might turn around and march back the other way towards the altar, you know? But you see, it's mighty easy to say that to God, right? You see, what, one of the things you'll learn in, in the seminar tomorrow is that who's the owner of everything? Well, God is. Why? Well, not just because he made it, but also because he owns you. So the first thing I want you to see in the text that we're looking at is that God's gifts are for our sanctification, His glory. God's gifts are for our sanctification and for His glory. And the first place that you really see that, and, and it really is one of my uh, favorite parts of the whole verse, uh, in verse 7, each of you must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I've heard that preached before that, listen, God loves a cheerful giver, so get cheerful in your giving. Sounds a little legalistic, doesn't it? I don't think that's what this text is talking about at all. I think that what God is saying when he says, I love a cheerful giver is, I love my people when they look like me. I love my people when they reflect me. Because, you see, God is a cheerful giver, is he not? Maybe he is the most cheerful of all givers. Jonathan Edwards said everything exists, including Pikes Peak, exists because God the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father, and their love was so great that they loved the Holy Spirit, and the three of them together extended that love out into creation. Everything exists because God the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, and the Father and the Son loved the Holy Spirit. That's the heart of God. And that's the kind of heart that He wants us to have as well. You know, I don't think this should surprise us. I think most parents want their children to reflect their family values to some extent. Uh, maybe look a little bit like them. I've got one daughter that looks an awful lot uh, like her mother, and I have another daughter that looks an awful lot like, like her father. That's me. Um, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for the youngest one, really. But nevertheless, uh, there, there's no mistaking. Uh, this young lady, when she goes places, even if they don't know that we belong together, that is, that she's my daughter, people will say, do you, do you belong to Paul Koistra? You look a lot like him. God wants us to look like him. And how are we going to look like him? If we are cheerful givers, because he's a cheerful giver. First of all, think about it in relationship to creation. You know, 
my wife likes to talk about the fact that in God's creation, if he had wanted to, he could have made a black and white world. He could have. He didn't. I mean, just look at the flags around here. Look at all the beauty and so on. And, and, and uh, when you see all of that color exploding before your eyes, you realize that's a God who wanted you to enjoy just the things you look at, just the art, just the scenery, everything, because of its beauty. I particularly like trees, and my favorite trees are oak trees. This is my favorite time of the year, by the way, because the leaves are falling. So when I'm out hiking in the woods, uh, I can, with my stick, I can knock the leaves around, and there's a chestnut oak, and there's a white oak, there's a black oak, there's a water oak, uh, and, and so on. There are lots of oaks, let me tell you. Now think about it for a minute. God could have made just one kind of oak if he had wanted to, couldn't he? But no, no. Our God is a God that is so benevolent uh, that everything he does, you know, is in, the, in a way the extreme. He didn't, but he didn't just make one kind of oak. I mean, one, just make oak trees, and he made a bunch of other kind of trees. We have a daughter-in-law, she kind of specializes in conifers, and her old backyard is filled up with conifers. She's got one that you go out just at dusk, and it's called the ghost pine. During the day, it's just as green as any other pine, but I don't know what happens to it. When the sun is going down, it turns white. That's the kind of God we have. When you look at creation, think about that. Your God is a God who loves to give. He's a cheerful giver. But even more so, we look at salvation itself at the cross. When you look at the cross, doesn't that just overwhelm you? That God was willing to go to that extent to save you? When you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's saying, Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then, as God the Son, he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Father, I'm going to die for my people. I'm going to give up my life for them. And then the scriptures say that he sweat drops of blood. The agony. Why am I emphasizing this? Because I want you to see the extreme of how far God went. How much he gave to save you. He gave him very self to die for you. God loves a cheerful giver because he wants you to look like him. That should be our motivation for stewardship, that we would look like the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you know who George Beverly Shea is or was. Uh, for years and years, he was the person with the great baritone voice that would get up just before Billy Graham would sing. And uh, again, he would bring everybody to attention. They would be ready to hear Billy Graham because of that great voice that he had. Well, he had a theme song. And the way he got that theme song was that he was working in an insurance company and trying to decide whether he should go to New York to work on Broadway because he had an offer. It was going to pay him a lot more money than he'd ever seen before, and he was having a hard time putting everything together. And so he was leaning in that particular direction, and his mother 
put a poem on his piano. He sat down just to practice, and uh, he saw that poem. He read the poem, and then he wrote the music for it that day. It became his theme song. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather be his, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. That was his theme song. He wanted to look like Jesus. You know what it looks, you know what it is to look like Jesus in your stewardship? When I went to Covenant Seminary, I, we didn't have much of a development program. Nobody went out and thanked donors and so on. And I noticed that every month for years, this one couple in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, sent a gift in. I asked people if they knew she, who this couple was, and nobody knew. I said, I got to go out and see them. And because they gave a sizable amount of money, I thought they had to be extremely wealthy. I got on a plane, flew to Philadelphia, drove to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, drove up in front of a house that I thought was going to be a palatial house. And I thought there'd be a Mercedes parked in the driveway. Instead, it was an old Ford Fairlane and a little white clap house. I actually thought I was in the wrong place. Rang the doorbell and this elderly couple asked me to come in and they began to share with me about their life. And she said, you know, I became a Christian before my husband. And, and, and when I became a Christian, I told him, I've got to give to the church. And he said, well, you can give your money to the church, but I'm not giving my money to those people. And so she said, I began to give. And then he butt in and said, yeah, but, but I began to see something different in her. In fact, I saw something different in her giving. She was so happy about the opportunity to give to the Lord that I thought maybe I better begin to look at this myself. Maybe there's something here I don't understand. And she, he said, I came to faith because of her stewardship. I know you've never heard a testimony like that before, have you? But I want to tell you, that couple was a couple in their stewardship that looked like Jesus. They retired, and when they retired, their finance, their income was cut in half. And they were giving about 20% at that time. And so he said, my, my wife said to me, you know, we're going to have to cut our giving in half. And he said, no, we'll just double the percentage. And he said, you know what? We've been giving like that now for several years, and it's quite a blessing. And not only that, but we haven't run out of money. We haven't heard at all. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. But I'll tell you, that will grow your faith. When you begin to see that what God has given you is not for you to keep, but it's for you to develop a heart of generosity so that you are a cheerful giver, so that you begin to look like your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul um, actually brings us an example. So if you're having a hard time figuring out exactly what he means by this, if you go back to chapter 8, right in the beginning he says in verse 1, we want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's really saying, you need to know this Macedonian Christians. And what do you need to know about them? I mean, he's excited about them. He wants them to know about them. It's like he's brought them here so that they'll see in real life what he's talking about. 
what he's talking about in terms of stewardship. And notice what he says. He says, first of all, in verse 2, they gave out of extreme poverty. And then notice in verse 3, they gave beyond their means. And then in verse 4, they asked, that is, they begged to give more. They gave out of poverty, they gave beyond their means, and then they prayed and asked to give more. Now, I don't think Paul brings along this example to make you feel guilty. And I don't think he's trying to use it as leverage to get you to give more. No, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to show you what this is all about. About what it really means when stewardship becomes part of your worship. When you do really begin to mirror your God and your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he says, you need to understand this is a work of grace. In verse 7, he goes on, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all circumstances, earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Whatever grace you have in your life, don't miss this grace, Paul is saying. The Macedonians didn't. And why didn't they? Well, because in verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, their stewardship was related to the fact that they had given themselves hook, line, and sinker to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he was the most important thing in their life. Giving comes from an overflowing heart, overflowing heart concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in the text in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. Giving comes from a heart overflowing with the gospel. Now listen, I want this to be practical for you. This message could actually change your life. I don't need to tell you your money is important to you. So that part of your life has got to be plugged into your relationship with God. Here are three things I would suggest. First of all, make your giving part of your worship and prayer. Pray about it. When that offering plate comes around and they're up here singing the love of God, think about it. Think about it. Let that be really a central part of your life because I can tell you your money is. Your money is a central part of your life. Secondly, be purposeful. My wife and I, we plan in January what we're going to give for the year. And that really helps us then to start our giving and to keep it going. Now, I will tell you, because I put her in charge, she gives more than we ever planned. Uh, and I mean that. She goes over every year, and it's okay. Because so far, we haven't run out. But make it uh, purposeful and uh, and, uh, and plan it. And then finally, and this is the one that's blessed me the most, practice what I call compound giving. Now, you know what compound interest is, right? If you put in a little bit of money into a savings account when you're young, when you're old, it creates quite a bit of money. You know, if you put in a bunch of money now, 
it doesn't really account for much more, but if you put it way back there and let it grow, 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 if you start giving and then this year, next year, give a little bit more, the next year, give a little bit more, the next year, a little bit more, I guarantee you, you will be surprised what that will do to your giving. Luther said this, if I can convert a pocketbook, I can convert a soul. Now that sounds backwards, doesn't it? No, no, you gotta, com- you gotta convert a soul so you can convert their giving, right? But Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I think that's all Luther was saying. He was just saying what Jesus was saying. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. That's why this matter of stewardship is so important. There was a missionary right at the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s. His name was James McKean. James McKean. He worked in a village his entire life in Thailand. And when he would go around and talk about his work, he would say, I wish you could meet my people. They only make 10 cents a day. But they give generously. They can pay for their pastor, which is very unusual in those days in Thailand. They also have sent out two missionaries and support those two missionaries in other places in Thailand. And they are helping the poor around their village. And then he would say this. Oh, by the way, Have I told you I'm a medical doctor and I work with leprosy patients? Our whole village is a village of lepers. But you see, they were lepers who had met Jesus and they were changed. And their lives looked like their God. They were generous because even though they were suffering from this terrible disease, they understood how generous Christ had been to them. I want you to think about that as you think about your stewardship. And please don't forget to sign up for the seminar. Let me pray. Father in heaven, these two verses, I mean these two chapters, uh, we, could, we could spend a week in them actually. And uh, the, the, the weight of them is so wonderful and so great. We understand, Father, like the Macedonians, that we've got to get it right. And to get it right, we've got to give ourselves to you. And if we give ourselves to you, then we're going to give our resources to you as well. Because we do understand that you are the owner of everything. You have bought us with a great price. Father, help us to be those who worship you with what we have. Help us to be purposeful. And Father, stretch us in many areas of our life, but please stretch us in this area. We need to be stretched. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.